Hey, welcome back to the Female Founder World Podcast. I am the host of the pod, Jasmine, and today I'm chatting with Monica Grone. She's the founder and CEO of a wellness company called Marea. Have you heard of them? They're on a mission to help women basically be free from PMS and period symptoms, which is a great mission. And they're doing that through a drinkable multivitamin. But what is really interesting, yes, all of her mission is awesome. I love it. But what we're talking about today is how she launched the business and how she's scaling it and how she started with a $50,000 grant, what she did to get that grant, where it came from, because what a dream. And we also talk about the wellness industry in general. So if you're like early on in this founder story and you're still looking for your thing, I think you might find a couple of ideas in this conversation. There are also a bunch of other recommendations that she shares, her resources, Slack channels you should be joining, all of the things. But before we get into the chat, I've got a quick message from our much-loved sponsors of the show. Gorgeous. I am Alexandria Collis, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. I'm focused on our strategy and innovation in the CX department here at Princess Polly. The Princess Polly online store was born in a true startup style in 2010 in Australia, and we launched our US-based operation in Los Angeles in 2019. And now we are one of the fastest growing online women's fashion brands in the US and Australia. Our first value is customer centricity, so every single day department is paying attention to the customer experience. We aim to deliver every single time and being customer focused is really daring to be different. We first and foremost listen to our customers and always remember that customer perception is reality. Our demographic is Gen Z and this is the I expect a response now. I call them the now customer. Our CX teams engage across every single channel. It is very important that we meet our customers where they are and Gorgeous allows us the opportunity to be efficient with all of these channels located in one place. We show up to work each and every day with one goal in mind, and that is to provide the best customer experience for our customers all over the globe. I have a quote, and I always tell our CX leaders that customer experience is the heart of an organization, and we pump the blood and deliver the oxygen to the vital organs in the business to help them thrive and grow stronger. So AI and tech have played a large piece in a lot of the decisions that we've made at Princess Polly over the last year and going forward that we will make when it comes to utilizing systems to their fullest optimization. I will share that late last year, for example, we migrated ticketing platforms from, from the very popular Zendesk to Gorgeous because it is the experience that we're focused on, the agent experience and the customer experience. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, you can go to gorgeous.com and start a free trial today. You are now entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Grindsworthy. Monica, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Let's start with, I just want you in your own words to tell us about Marea and what it is that you're building. So Marea is a menstrual wellness company that's helping women feel free from their period symptoms. For me, I struggled with really bad PMS, period symptoms for over 17 years and had no idea that nutrition played a role in what I was experiencing. And when I discovered that, it was so incredibly life-changing that I knew it was something I needed to bring to the masses, share with other women, 
So we created a drinkable multivitamin that supports women with their PMS, menstrual pain, PMDD, all of the period problems. Amazing. And I was, you know, doing a little bit of research into you and your background, and it sounds like you've got a really strong marketing kind of um, experience professionally. What was your career leading up to launching your own company and and how did all of this come about, the idea and, and you know, how did, how did you get there? Yeah. In my early twenties, I was actually a professional athlete, um, in the outdoor industry. So I was a skier and I worked with wow. outdoor industry brands and that really kicked off my marketing career because I was marketing myself. You had to work mm-hmm. with big brands and learn how to have these partnerships. And it was the early days of influencing. So it was like a level of influencer, but you were an athlete. So that was really interesting, but it led me into production and working with brands like the North face and REI and O'Neill and a lot of outdoor industry brands where I was actually producing outdoor industry films um, and realized in my time in that in production that I wanted to work in-house at brands. I really loved the brand side of things. When I got to meet with these brands, it was really exciting and really fun um, and got an opportunity to be a marketing director at a e-commerce brand after I had launched my first Shopify store to learn e-com. So I mm-hmm. had a previous Shopify store. It was just kind of a backyard at home brand, if you will, and went on to be a marketing director in the pet space for a million dollar, multi-million dollar e-com brand. And that was so fun. Such an amazing experience. It was bootstrapped. And so I got to learn so much. Yeah. I really think that, um, you know, working like my, I take my hat off to these people who are coming straight out of school and launching amazing businesses, but I learned so much. And like from the founders that I speak to who are doing cool things, like learning on someone else's dime is kind of the way to do it. If you can. Yeah. And it taught me a lot about how I wanted to do it different and what I would change. I used to keep this journal about all of my bosses and how I wanted to be a different kind of boss. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Can I just say, I remember doing an, an like a panel event a few years ago and somebody asking, what have you learned from previous bosses around like how to be a leader and how to be a manager? And my response was, I actually learned a lot of what not to do more than like what to do, to be honest. I could not agree more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which is like just as important, you know, that, that experience is just as valid. Okay. So let's fast forward to coming up with the idea and getting the business off the ground. Like how did it all kind of take shape in the early days? Sure. So it really came from my personal experience, which is, I think, my favorite kind of brand, right? I was experiencing what is called premenstrual dysphoric disorder, PMDD. And that is kind of the severe mood side of PMS. Uh, And the suggestion from doctors was either birth control or antidepressants. Those were two routes that I didn't really want to take. I wanted to take a more holistic, natural approach. And so found my nurse practitioner had worked with some women who experienced this and suggested a long, long list of supplements that I should take. And that was something I felt very comfortable trying. So I, of course, like left the doctor's appointment, went to the grocery store and bought hundreds of dollars of supplements. It was very expensive. But within two months, I was feeling so balanced and so normal, if you will, that I realized there has to be something to this and went and dug in. I really did so much Googling and I think all businesses are started from some Googling, (laughs) 
but did a lot of Googling and found a dietitian who had done a lot of research around specific nutrients and how they played a role in menstrual syndromes. And I reached out to her and I was like, I want to learn more about this. Can you like, can we talk about it? She was super into it, open to having this discussion. And I was like, I want to create something so all women can get their hands on this and realize the role that nutrition plays. Are you interested in supporting this? So she was game, which was amazing. I think it's rare that the first contact you reach out to is someone who's so willing to dig in with you. But she was also passionate about it and had a lot of existing research around it. So she helped me actually come up with our initial formulation that was going to be something that could be a multivitamin specifically made for women who experience menstrual syndromes. And from there, it was lots of contacting co-packers and contract manufacturers and trying to figure that all out because that was something that was so out of my wheelhouse. I had no idea what I was doing. Totally. That's its whole own world. One thing that I am curious about is, okay, so you want to start a supplement brand. What is the regulatory environment like for something like that? Like what kind of guidelines are you adhering to? Where are you even learning about that information about what's, I'd be like terrified that I was going to end up breaking the law, you know, like where do you go for those resources? So the supplement industry is very not regulated, which is something I knew about having just my own interest in wellness, that you have to be very cautious with supplements as a consumer. And I knew I wanted to create something that was trustworthy. So because the FDA doesn't regulate it, basically there's just good manufacturing practices. So a lot of it comes down to the manufacturer that you work with. I had learned this again, just through my own supplement journey and knowing as a consumer that I needed to be cautious. And so I started to look at the brands that I trusted and what were those labels that they had or certifications or things like that and would be asking the manufacturers that we were basically interviewing, do you follow these practices? Are you certified for any of these things? And that really helped us in our decision-making process, knowing that we could find a partner that we could trust in what we were developing. What's the claims testing process like for a supplement? Do you need to do a certain amount of trials? Is it like you find ingredients that already have clinical research behind them that you can like lean on existing research? What, what do you need to do to prove out those claims? So there's no like specific testing done that's required on your product in order to make certain claims. The ingredient has to have research on it to show that it can withhold that claim. So basically it's using, utilizing existing research to be able to have claims with your product. And where do you find that information? That was where our (laughs) medical advisors and like the dietitian I was working with really came in is that a lot of it was on PubMed, you know, the digital resource resource with all of the scientific studies that I remember that published. Yeah. University days. Yeah. (laughs) And so we spent a lot of time with our heads in PubMed, just seeing what research already existed and how we could best utilize that to our advantage. Smart. Okay. And so you said that, you know, there was a lot of Googling involved in finding your co-packer and your like manufacturer. What kind of things were you looking for? I'm guessing MOQs played a big part in it. Like what are some of the things that you need to like be 
wary of as a, not necessarily even just like a wellness brand, but anyone who's looking for those like fulfillment and manufacturing partners in the really early days? Mark Hughes was a huge one. For me, I really wanted to find a partner who believed in what we were creating. And so it was having one-on-one conversations with their internal teams and almost pitching them like an investor where we wanted them to have buy-in. We're creating something. Mm -hmm. We want you to be excited about it because we want you to be our long-term partner in our growth and understand like in the early days, we're going to maybe need lower MOQs or to utilize just different kind of payment options, if you will. So those were big things. It was a lot of a feeling. And then looking at, for me, I knew if they were creating products that were sold in Europe or Australia, the regulations are higher in those countries and much better than what it is in the US. So I knew if I could ask the questions of, are any of the products you're producing sold in Europe or Australia? And if they were meeting those requirements and they did have those kind of practices in place that were more high quality. So for me, that was like a big one. And just looking at like good manufacturing practices, if they were following those and if they had NSF certification was big, because that's, again, just another level of certification that we know their facility is already following these practices. So even if we can't early on afford to have the stamp on our package, this facility is already following the practice. Mm. That's super interesting. What was your, when you were first launching, what were some of the things that you were doing to really get traction, get those first customers? We're talking 2020, which is a totally different landscape. And I'm really curious about like what was working during that time. For us, our like first hundred customers out the door came from a Forbes placement. In our launch month, we had an article in Forbes about my story and why I'm bringing this product to market. And that was huge for us. I knew kind of going into it that we weren't going to have big budgets for marketing. We're bootstrapped. So I needed to get really scrappy. So I was doing a lot of press pitching myself, trying to make friends with writers and anyone who I thought would be interested in what we were building. So we got a couple of early press placements, which was really big. We were in Forbes and Shape, Create and Cultivate, and those kind of started the momentum. And then from there, it's really been like our practitioner partner program that we built. So bringing in health coaches that believe in what we're building and having them share um, and trying to just build community around our passion and our mission. What does it all kind of look like now that you've been operating for a couple of years? So we still do a lot of organic and not much in terms of paid. We're still bootstrapped, so we're still very cash sensitive, I would say. But we have a really robust practitioner program. So it is those experts that are sharing with their communities. And we really believe in the collaboration with these people. So they are all sharing their own message around health, nutrition, women's health. So we try to work together to be able to educate our audience and then provide them with a really amazing product. So utilizing that community to kind of show both sides and bringing in the programming has been so fun for us to be able to serve our community. And we're looking now with our medical advisors, we're launching something very soon that is going to be like a deeper serve for our audience in terms of programming. And we're just so excited to be able to bring it to people. 
It is so cool to see these brands. I'm like a few brands are doing it now post pandemic where programming and digital events are like a big part of their marketing mix and their community building strategy. And I just love it. Like we do a bunch of virtual events as well. And I just think like having people in the same space, even if it's, you know, even if it's like 30 people that turn up to a workshop, I don't know, there's something like really special. And I think powerful about like serving those like most engaged, most interested members of your community with like really high value content. Yeah. And our goal from day one has always just been to serve, 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 serve. Mm -hmm. We've been education first and we found the most powerful is when we have those one-on-one interactions. So whether it's digitally or in person, it's having those people in the room and getting them to feel your energy and your excitement towards what you're teaching or what you're passionate about. It gets them pumped up and then they go and tell like five friends. So we've really found that to be like energetic towards our growth. Yeah. Tell me about your um, distribution strategy. I'm guessing, you know, you've launched um, e-com and D2C. It, what is the plan or how are you thinking about getting your product into more people's hands at the moment? So we focus really heavily on direct-to-consumer because we do see that there is a need for education on the product. You know, a lot of women experience these symptoms and they go and grab Midol or are prescribed birth mm-hmm. control. And so it kind of is an educational process. We have just recently gotten in, invited to test in some pharmacies. That would be really big for us. And we're excited to see how that goes. But I do kind of have the question of, is the education necessary to get it across or are women adopting this? So that's something Mm. we're exploring. I think to be on a shelf, you know, I'd love to sit next to a Midol and be an all natural option. So we're running towards that as a goal and really excited about it, but I think it's going to take some testing and for us to just kind of see how it goes. Interesting. I would love to see you on the shelves at like (laughs) CVS or a Dwayne Reed. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Okay. So let's like jump into some of the tools and programs that you're using in the business now. You know, most of the companies I speak with, they're using Shopify or like a Clavio as well for email marketing. Is there anything that's like helping you on the back end of the business at the moment? So we are on Shopify and something that we recently did was use Octane AI to build a quiz, which a lot of brands are doing when they have multiple products to help the consumer pick the end product, like which what's right for them, whether it's a makeup shade or something like that. For us, we only really have one core product. And so we were able to build a quiz that brings people in, give like they give us their symptoms and we can help explain to them how these nutrients are going to support their specific needs. And that has been such a huge way for us to acquire email addresses faster and then bring them into the education. So they go into a pretty in-depth Clavio flow from the quiz that is really customized and feels really personalized for that person. And the conversion on it has just been mind blowing. I love that. I love a quiz. I do think as well, people just love to know more about themselves. I think that we're in this like real time of self-exploration. People are quite self-focused. They want to, you know, deeply understand their body. And yeah, I, I love like using a quiz to like kick off that relationship. Yeah. And Octane has made it so easy, the integration into Shopify, building the quiz 
And then all of the information flows really seamlessly over to email on Klaviyo. So mm. in today's world, when it's like kind of hard to do paid and paid is getting really complicated, we found this to be such a nice way to connect to the consumer and be able to give them that customized experience. Very cool. What are you thinking as you look around the wellness space and even like women's health, what kind of trends are you seeing that you think are like quite interesting? Like I'm, I'm seeing so much happening, especially in women's health and femtech. And I'm just curious, like what are founders seeing in terms of white space right now? Like if somebody wanted to come in and like do something, like, is there anything that you're looking at and you're like, Ooh, that's, that's kind of interesting. I think that the older generation of reproductive health is starting to get more popular, you know, periods yes, you're got, so right. got talked about quickly because it was the millennials and the Gen Z's who were willing to start having the conversation. So, you know, we started talking about periods because we were all having periods, but now we're moving into that menopause phase for some of the older millennials or perimenopause. And I think that's getting you know, a light shined on it right now. And you're seeing more and more products and companies pop up in that space, but I think it's going to start to get a lot more attention. I agree. A podcast I listened to, well, actually like a podcast network, it's called Mamma Mia. They are Australia's largest independent women's publication. And they've just done this whole like course. And I think it's even a virtual retreat kind of thing around perimenopause. And we also had on the podcast, the founder of Womaness and they do menopause products. I think they're in Target now. So it's so interesting. You're right. Seeing this shift. I feel like we had this conversation and this modernization of period products. Then it went through to like fertility and now we're going to the menopause and perimenopause products. So that's so interesting. Yeah. And I'm excited for it. You know, like my, yeah. mom, my mom all the time is like, what, create a product for me. I need help. And I'm like, they're mm -hmm. coming. They're coming. It's <laughs> happening. <laughs> One thing at a time. <laughs> I want to talk about the funding. You said that you're bootstrapped and, you know, like whatever you can share, share whatever you don't want to share, like that's totally fine. But I am curious around like what it takes to get a company like this off the ground. Are you like dipping into savings? Did you have a bit of friends and family putting in how, cause there's some R and D involved in a supplement and a physical product is expensive. Yes. And we've definitely taken the route of working with a manufacturer who has higher MLQs because we trusted them more. So that has been terrifying. I will say that. <laughs> and I got, I'd say somewhat lucky They're in the state of Wyoming. We have a really good entrepreneurial community that they're trying to grow and the state was actually doing a grant, a startup grant for companies that had high growth potential. And so I had pitched to them three times and gotten denied twice. And it was for a $50,000 grant. So, I mean, 50K, like that's a pretty good yeah. launch budget, I'd say. That'll get you off the ground. Yeah. And on the third time, the room full of men finally conceded and decided that... It, we did have a large audience, 50% of the population, and we were awarded the grant. So that was our initial capital. I matched that with savings. And yeah, it's been wild. You know, I worked for the first eight months, um, still full time. So I was full time and launching the business, which definitely made us grow slower in the early days, but was was worth it to me to be able to yeah. 
retain my company. And still to this day, I do some consulting so that I don't have to pull as much out of the company for myself. So that's kind of been my path and it it seems to look different for everyone. Yeah. And can I just say as well, a lot of the founders that I speak with, even who have venture backed businesses are doing consulting work on the side so that they don't draw down on money that can be going back into the business. Like people that you would think, oh no, that business is huge. I'm seeing them all over subway ads. They're still doing a bit of stuff on the side to, you know, put in their own pockets for sure. Yeah. And I don't want to have to like feel pressure to pull money out of my business. So for Mm -hmm. me, I'm like, if I can spend five to 10 hours a week, you know, making money to put dinner on the table, that's great. That's fine. And I can totally do that. Yeah. Okay. So you started with that, like, you know, 50 grand grant and your savings. What was that going to? Like, what was the biggest expense? Inventory, 100% Mm -hmm. inventory. Initially, we put a good amount into our branding as well. I think coming into the wellness space, making sure that we looked like a premium brand that we wanted to be. It was really important. So we did, I think it was $8,000 on branding initially. That was like website packaging and logo. Um, I think looking back, I regret spending that much. Mm. (laughs) I love where we came out, but I think we probably could have done it cheaper, but I was like anxious and moving quickly but at well, the end it looks of the, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. At the end of the day, I'm so pleased. So it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? It's better to get it done right the first time. You know what I mean? Like you've yeah. got something beautiful. It looks like you've definitely executed on the vision of it looking like premium and established. And you want to, you know, engender trust in the brand, especially when you're in the wellness space. So I think you've definitely done that. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So you spent, you spent about eight grand on the branding. Did you use an agency, a freelancer? How did you find someone for that? I had a friend locally who had an agency and it was really nice to work with someone who I could be very hands-on with and we could meet in person. So she did our initial branding and yeah, still love it to date. I miss collaborating with people in person so much. Like I'm at the moment, you know, thinking about bringing someone just to help a little bit on some content stuff. And I want someone to physically be in my space and work with me at least one or two days a week because I, yeah, it's like a lonely road. I don't want to just be looking at faces on a screen. So I think that when you do have the opportunity to collaborate in real life, like it's powerful stuff, especially when you're brainstorming, doing creative work. For sure. I agree. There's not an energy exchange over Slack. It's, you know, it seems very transactional. And when you can actually have that in-person excitement, it's it's so game-changing. Yes, I, I agree. I miss it. I'm really missing it. Okay. I want to like switch gears and talk about building a business that's not in New York or LA or Miami or San Francisco. You're in um, a state that I don't think a lot of people necessarily who are super entrepreneurial would automatically be like, oh, I'm going to start a business. Like that's the place to do it. And you did it in the middle of 2020 when everyone moved virtual, which just seems like the perfect timing. I want to understand your thoughts around that experience. And do you need to be in Austin or the West Coast or East Coast to start a company? I mean, no, because I've done it. But um, my husband and I have always decided to prioritize lifestyle first, which is why we live in Jackson, Wyoming, literally the middle of nowhere, the Wild West, if you will. Um, but I am so grateful for the pandemic, which is awful to say, but in a way it really offered me the world because everyone moved to online. All of these resources were flooding on Twitter and 
into these Slack groups and the world went digital. And for me, who was not based in New York or LA or a hub, I was able to participate and get to know the other people in the space, in CPG, um, in e-commerce. And I think it really propelled us forward faster and myself as well. Luckily, a lot of these communities have remained online. So if you're looking to start a business and you're not in New York or LA, like just look around, get on Twitter. And it's been incredible what I've been able to find. I still wish that I could spend more time in those places because I think there would be more opportunity for sure. But I'm grateful to be able to do it from where I am and it's possible. Can you recommend any specific groups that you're a part of that you think are great or like Slack channels, or is it more just like people that you follow and engaging more one-on-one over like DM or whatever? Yeah, there's a couple of Slack channels. There is the D2C family that Kristen LaFrance um, started, and that's amazing. Go follow her on Twitter, Kristen LaFrance. And CPG Club, which was started through Repeat, um, which is an amazing Shopify app as well. Those have all been really powerful. Also, there is the Commerce Club on Facebook, which was started by Dolma and her, that group in there, it's like all female, all e-commerce operators has been really, really helpful and supportive. Amazing. And then the last question that I ask everyone who comes on the show is for a resource. And you've just given us a bunch of great ones, but is there a book or a podcast or something that's kind of helped you over the last couple of years as you've been building your business? I'll say the book that was the catalyst for me was Mickey Agarwal's book, uh, Get Shit Done, I think is the title. I found that because she had started a period company. She started Thanks Mm -hmm. and that to me was really inspiring. Shortly thereafter, I had read that uh, Jamie Schmidt came out with her book, Supermaker, in the last year. And again, that was really inspiring. You know, she built from the ground to selling to a large conglomerate. So the, both of those stories were really, really inspiring to me. And I've just, I just love those books. Brilliant. Okay. That's a great resource. Monica, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling us all about Maria and how you're building the business. Thanks for having me. Before you jump ahead to the next podcast, I have a free resource for anyone who wants to get press and publicity for their consumer brand, which is pretty much all of you, I'm guessing. I worked as an editor and a writer for about 10 years, and I've put together a pretty comprehensive and robust database of editors, the freelancers, the writers that you want to pitch if you're in beauty, wellness, fashion, if you're a female founder, if you're covering business, and if you are just looking for market and shopping roundups in general, it is a pretty solid resource and it's available for free. All I ask is that you take a screenshot of the review that you've left on the podcast and DM it to me at Female Founder World on Instagram, and I'll send you that link right back. And just before we go, I've got a recommendation for another podcast you're going to love. Bye. Mads, I am obsessed with our brand pillars. You mean vagina sweat, good branding, and being Jewish-blooded queens, Scout? Uh, sure, but not quite. I love that OKSIS podcast and our sisterhood is made up of women who are down for main character energy only, who take care of their mental health, and who are standing in their personal power as entrepreneurs. Oh, yeah. That too, Scout. That too. We should probably introduce ourselves. Hello, everyone. I am Mads. And I am Scout. And we are sisters IRL. 
Join us on OKSIS Podcast every Monday for some sisterly banter, nourishing mental health, a whole lot of silliness, and inspiring interviews from the raddest female guests in the game. We promise it'll be a good time. As long as you don't get too loud, Mads. Welcome to the sisterhood!